Hope y'all are doing great. There's a children's book down here that would annoy me through my whole sermon, so I'm going to move that. Um, we are starting into the season of Advent, and it's a, a really wonderful time of year because it is a, an essential piece of being a Christian. And what I mean by that is that one of the core teachings, one of the essential teachings that we believe as a Christian people is that one day Christ, who came in Bethlehem, the one born in the manger, will one day return. And so that automatically means that we who are in Christ, those who have faith in who he is, have a different understanding of how the future is going to unfold. Uh, we have a different belief about how things are going to end than what you see happen throughout most of the world. Um, if you were just going to run roughshod over kind of the expectations that you hear from people about the future, you talk with them about what do they want to see happen, they would maybe name off some, some basic life events. Uh, maybe they would say, I want to one day retire, or one day I want to see a particular place in the world, I want to travel there, or one day I want to play more golf, whatever the case might be. Um, and, but as Christians, we say one day Christ will return, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, that uh, every tear will be wiped away, that uh, all sorrows will be gone, that one day the, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb, that all things will be brought together, and that all the pain, all the sorrow, all the hurts that you and I go through now are going to be undone, that they're going to be redeemed, and that we will have a new place and a new world in which we rejoice and we celebrate in what Christ has done. And you can already begin to say, that is way different than what most people deal with on a regular basis in their lives. Uh, most of the time, people have different expectations about what's going to come next, that they're just going to be a little older, that they're going to have a little less abilities, or they're going to see things diminish in their lives. And yet, as Christians, we're always saying things are going to continue to grow toward the direction of Jesus. And so that's what Advent is about and it is something that's important, it's essential, and um, when you think about that, it means that you and I are kind of at the threshold, that we stand at a place where we know good things are about to happen, but we're only beginning to experience a taste of those. We're only beginning to see a little bit of those. I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed by the history of the early explorers, people like um, Columbus uh, and the others that were willing to set sail off onto the ocean with no GPS, no real maps, and um, they were somehow able to convince boatloads of people that they should get on the boat and that they should travel to a place where nobody else has ever been. Isn't that just astounding? I mean, there are, there's um, probably a number that you could hit with me that would say, okay, uh, I'll go with you, right? You know, Rick, I'll give you a million dollars. We're going to go someplace nobody else has been, right? Um, but when you're talking about leading people and guiding people toward that, it's a significant challenge. Uh, and when you talk about leading people toward the kingdom of heaven, toward becoming followers of Christ, there's, there's even those demands as well. And so today I want to look kind of a case study, if you will, of how does all that happen? How do we become a people who have a greater future, a greater expectation of hope, a greater outlook on where God is leading us? And uh, the case study that I want to look at is from the book of Joshua. And if you've got your Bibles, you're going to be happy because we've got um, Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 6, chapter 24, and maybe some parts in between. Um, the good news is I'm not preaching the entire book of Joshua. 
uh, because time doesn't allow, right? Y'all don't want to stick around until two. Um, but it's a really fantastic book, and if you've got your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1 begins with um, the following. It says, After Moses, the Lord's servant, died, the Lord spoke to Joshua, Nun's son. He had been Moses' helper. My servant Moses is dead. Now get ready to cross over the Jordan with the entire people to the land that I'm going to give the Israelites. And so they're on this side of the Jordan. They're waiting. They're hoping. They're wondering what's going to be next. And God says, now that Moses is gone, Joshua, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the one that is going to take my people into the promised land. Um, but the bad news, of course, or the troubling news is uh, the promised land is currently occupied by other people, uh, strong armies even. He says, um, I am going to cross over the Jordan. I'm giving you every place where you set your foot, exactly as I promised Moses. Your territory will stretch from the desert and the Lebanon as far as the great Euphrates River, including all the Hittite land up to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you during your lifetime. I will be with you in the same way I was with Moses. I won't desert you or leave you. Be brave and strong because you are not the one who will help this people take possession of the land which I pledged to give to their ancestors. So this is, uh, just to give you a little background on this, Moses has died. He's led them up to this place. Joshua is now going to take over. Joshua was one of the spies, one of the 12 spies, 12 explorers that goes into the promised land. And him and Caleb are the only ones that come back and say, hey, we could do this with God's help. Uh, this is going to be possible. The rest of the spies uh, tell them that, oh, the gosh, these people are huge. Uh, they are going to be a problem. And there's no way that we could possibly make it. And, uh, but we know Joshua and Caleb because they are the ones that come back. They're bold. They're courageous. They say they're going to make it happen. Uh, if you can name off the other 10 spies, I want to be on your Bible trivia team uh, because not many people can. Uh, there's one named like Gabby, one named Nabi, and then there's uh, Shaphat. Shaphat? Y'all remember Shaphat? No, of course not. He was a coward, right? We don't remember that. And uh, Shaphat uh, was afraid. He was scared. We liked him better than his brother, Lofat. I'm kidding. But Shaphat, you know, went to the prom alone. Uh, but Joshua uh, was one of the spies that comes back and he says, but with God, we can make this happen. Okay, that's the end of my cheesy jokes. Maybe. I mean, there's always next week, right? Um, so that's what happens. This is what Joshua is going to do. You think about that challenge that he has. Take this group of people who are not a real strong army and go and fight places where people are settled in, where there's encampments, what have you. And he says, I won't desert or leave you. So verse 7, be very brave and strong as you carefully obey all the instruction that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't deviate even a bit from it, either to the right or the left. Then you will have success wherever you go. And so if you think about what's on your future, what you're struggling with, what you're facing, one of the key things you can take home today is that God invites us into a life of obedience. When we're facing hard times, we're facing struggles, there's going to be all kinds of temptations to try and fix things our way, to take shortcuts, to uh, make compromises. And God reminds us and says, don't do that. You know, don't deviate from the left or the right. Follow where I'm guiding you. Do the things that I've commanded you, and it will go well for you. You and I both know that uh, people in their early 20s, like Joshua probably here, was here, 
uh, that one of the realities is you can make really bad decisions in your 18, 19, 20s that haunt you the rest of your life. Um, and that this is exactly what God is telling them. He's saying, be faithful, be obedient, and I will get you through this. Right? And so he says, don't deviate. Uh, then he says, never stop speaking about this instruction scroll. Recite it night and day so that you carefully obey everything written in it. You know, that, that constant thought about what is God leading me to? What does God want for me? And then you will accomplish your objectives and you will succeed. I commanded you to be brave and strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he tells Joshua to be obedient, to be faithful, and then he also gives the command of fear not, do not be afraid. How many times in the Bible does God tell us that? 366 times. That's once for every day of the year, and you get a bonus day for leap year or the day before Thanksgiving break. That's so, so long, right? Anyways, uh, so he, he tells us that. He, he gives us that key. Now, that's all well and good. How does Joshua put that into action? Uh, if you go over to Joshua chapter 6, probably one of the more famous stories. Joshua has already, you know, moved on into the promised land, and um, one of the biggest challenges up front is the city of Jericho. Jericho is a fortified city. The walls are so thick that you could move two chariots down it side by side, two-lane highway, right, above the, the walls of the city. It's that thick, and um, you know, like I've said, he's not dealing with a highly trained, highly skilled um, army. Instead, he has got a group of people that are facing down some serious walls, a, a serious barrier. Now, what's great about this passage is the plan that God gives Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was closed up, uh, came across the Israelites, no one went out or came in. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I've given Jericho and its king into your power, along with mighty warriors. Circle the city with all the soldiers going around the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets made from the ram's horn in front of the chest. On the seventh day, circle the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Have them blow a long blast on the ram's horn. As soon as you hear the trumpet blast, have all the people shout out a loud war cry. Then the city will collapse and the people will rise up, attacking straight ahead. All right, so you probably know what happens in this story, but, but just think for a moment how that planning meeting went, right? Can you imagine him telling his advisors or his council or his soldiers, okay, I know that we are ready for a fight. We, we've all been training. We've been all working on how to defeat an army, and now we're up against these city walls, and so here's the plan. I mean, can you just imagine the PowerPoint presentation at this point? All right, day one, we're going to go around the city. Day two, we're going to do the same thing. It's just comical, right? And then on the seventh day, we're going to go around seven times. We're going to blow our horns. We're going to shout. And then the walls are going to fall. Right? I mean, maybe if you went to Sunday school class and you heard this story, you would think, okay, it's not a good plan. But if you're hearing this for the first time, you're thinking, what has Joshua been into? Right? I know, y'all are all thinking, no, we're faithful. We'd do it. Yeah, okay. All right. And, uh, but it does. I mean... That's what happens. The city walls collapse. The army is overtaken. The king is destroyed. Uh, they sing the song, Joshua, right? Yeah. And, and then, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing what happens there. 
to feel it, to willing to obey and to listen to God. And, and all along the way, God's saying, I will do this. I will accomplish this. I will make this happen. Joshua, all you need to do is be faithful and obedient, and I will fight this battle for you. I mean, it's that profound. It's so great. Now, uh, just as a, a way to correct the story and to make sure that we're not lost in all this, uh, when you get to the end of Joshua, what you think is going to happen is that the people have been successful, they've taken over the land, and all goes well from there. And at the very end of the book, Joshua gives his retirement speech, and you expect in the retirement speech, you know, good job, y'all are great people, uh, make sure that you uh, keep on doing great things, but there's just a, like a jaw-dropping moment in chapter 24. and says, uh, then Joshua says to the people, this is the end of his life, you cannot serve the Lord because he is a holy God. He is jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you leave the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn around and do the harm and finish you off in spite of having done you good in the past. And so why is this so profound? Well, I mean, think about it. You know, imagine for just a moment that in a halftime locker room in a football game that um, the team is way up. They're, they've got a great score and um, they get into the locker room and the coach is saying, all right, we're winning, we're being successful, but bad news, we're not gonna win. And this is exactly what Joshua does. He says, uh, we've gotten the promised land, we're here, but, but you're not gonna make it. You know? And even though Joshua has been successful, he's been a great leader, he's been obedient, he's been faithful, he looks into their hearts and he says, but, but you're just not ready to be here yet. And why does this matter so much? It's because Joshua was a great leader. He was a good example. He's inspiring. He gives us hope. But at the end of the day, he, he's just not enough. But when we read through the rest of our Bible, we find that God gave us a leader, gave us a king that is able to change our hearts. The one that is able to speak into our lives and say, you are made for more, you can be far greater than you ever imagined. You can shape the world around you in mighty and powerful ways. That in Jesus Christ, we have the one who is to be eternally our King and our Savior and our Lord. That He is the one that has promised us a future and a hope that is far greater than anything else our world could possibly give us. That in Him, we have the one that not only leads us and encourages us and inspires us, but the one who has promised that the battle and the victory and everything else has already been won. That even as we struggle, even if we have trials in our lives that are difficult, we look forward to the future and we say, but the one who is eternal, the one who is everlasting, the true king of our world, the greatest Lord the world will ever know, one day he shall return and we shall be his people. That no matter what it is that we're facing, no matter what it is that we're struggling with, we have that fantastic hope, this hope that is anchored beyond the veil, a hope that is lasting and that is real and that is far greater than any king, any ruler, any power that has ever existed and ever will. That in him we have all that we need and that he will be our hope. So today, whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever it is that you might be wondering about or struggling or, or hurting about, I, I just invite you to change the way that you look at the world, to shift your focus away from the problems and the difficulties that you're facing and to look to the one true king, to fix your eyes clearly upon him and to trust in what he alone can do. 
Today we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. And I don't know about what it is that you think about when you come forward to receive communion, the bread and the cup. But today I just invite you to receive those two things as a, a way of God speaking to your life and saying, the victory is yours. The war has been won. To receive that body and that blood and to know that your King, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will reign eternal over all things.